to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kamiko McCoy, Senior Marketing Reporter here at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. Hello, hello, Kaylee. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Digiday Podcast. How are you? I am doing well. It's Friday morning currently, um, although our listeners will be listening to us on Tuesday morning, in theory. Uh, But yeah, it's a sunny day. The snow has stopped in New York and... And Beyonce has released new music. That's the most important of the Truly, truly the biggest silver lining of what has been a very busy week. Two new country tracks from Beyonce, which I didn't realize I needed, but once they've been in my life, I can't envision a life without them. You know, I actually, the fact that I saw her at a Super Bowl ad, I said, what's going on? That lady does not talk to us. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't see this happening. Yeah, uh, that was definitely a stop conversation moment. And then like her music dropped, what, like a half hour later or something like yes. that. And that was another stop watching the Super Bowl moment. Uh, pause all media, consume Beyonce, basically. 100%. I had to like stop breathing for a moment. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't consider myself a stan by any means, but... I just, like I said, she doesn't talk to us. She doesn't talk to us. Not only did we get a commercial. First of all, how did Verizon even get in contact with that lady? I don't even want to know how much money they paid. Yeah, it was well beyond that standard, like, $7 million ad slot reservation. They they spent a lot of money, I have to assume. What is your favorite one? I'm a big 16 Carriages fan, personally. As well, but also depends on my mood. If I need, like, a good session where I'm, like, sitting and contemplating my life at 16 carriages. Um, If I've got on my hat and cowboy boots, we're we're going Texas Hold'em. Yeah. Yeah. That one's a little bit more of like, I don't know, square dancing kind of vibes. Yeah. It's given hoedown. Very, very very hoedown. Um, Love them both. Excited for the album. As well. As well. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let's get down to, let's get down to business. Let's get down to business. (laughs) I feel like we're going to have to pay Disney a licensing fee now. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. I'm so sorry to our audio producers. So you had a conversation back in December at our DPMS, which is Digiday's Programmatic Marketing Summit, um, with Carol Cooper, um, president of advertising at Group Black. And I think it's really interesting how that conversation, like you started it back in December about like, legacy media buying practices, excuse me, um, and how those things prevent media budgets from scaling on Black-owned media companies. Um, And that conversation has taken us now to Black History Month, making it very pertinent. So talk to me a little bit about you guys' conversation. Yeah, so Corel and I had this conversation in December, um, and it was one of those like onstage conversations where it just felt like there's a lot of, like it could be very applicable to a lot more ears than what was in the audience, right? Like it was one of those things where it's like, you know, this was a great onstage session, but I want to give it a little bit more of a, a boost and, you know, reach reach more listeners, reach more of our audience. Um, and so it worked out that he was able to join me a few months later. And at that point, you know, the start of this year has been quite crazy in the world of advertising. Like, you know, programmatic uh, is going through a, a cookie-less overhaul. Um, there are a lot of concerns around, uh, like, reaching the right audiences and being able to target um, the right demographics for your campaigns in an effective way without cookies. Like, that whole kind of conversation um, has been fairly top of mind, too. And so I wanted to kind of 
ask him like, all right, updates on his work, like Group Black's work with Double Verify, which they've been working with to really try and like showcase the fact that like legacy buying practices like keyword block lists and, uh, you know, domain level categorization, those really, as you said, reduce scale um, or ability to scale on media campaigns, uh, especially for Black-owned media. And so they did this work with Double Verify, and now he's really trying to work with the trade organizations, with, you know, publishers, media buyers, holding companies, agencies, like all of the various players to really kind of put these results on a a wider screen, like make sure that they're really understood so that change can happen outside of this silo that they've been focusing on it, you know, within Group Black. Um, and so we pick up that conversation. I do, I, I feel like we do get into a little bit of a tangent around cookies just because tis the season, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, we do kind of try and bridge it back uh, to see like, all right, well, how are these things kind of working in tandem to really change the way people are buying digital media at this point. So uh, yeah, it was a really fascinating conversation. I was really glad that he was able to rejoin me and and have this conversation for a wider audience. Um, And yeah, it's always great talking with him. So we'll just, I don't know, leave it at that and let us have this conversation because it's a longer one. Sorry, guys, but it's a good one. So stay tuned. Love that. Well, with no further ado, I will let you guys get into it. Carell, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on, Kaylee. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I Well, so for our listeners' sake, I wanted to have you on because we had a really interesting chat on stage at the Digiday Programmatic Marketing Summit in New Orleans in December. Um, and I think given everything that's going on with the programmatic market right now and how uh, chaotic the start of the year has been in a lot of ways, I thought it was good to not only like amplify that conversation that we had had in December to a larger audience, but also like, I'm just very curious to know like how the narrative has been um, influenced by cookie deprecation or how, um, you know, things have like maybe made improvements since we last chatted about these things. So anyway, that's the, uh, for the background of our listeners, that's why I wanted to have you on today. Um, but I guess first and foremost, maybe an introduction of your role at, at Group Black um, and a little bit for those who might be unfamiliar with Group Black, um, what all your company kind of uh, focuses on would be a good starting spot. Yeah, sure. And and I'm I'm glad you invited me on because uh I, I think our conversation in New Orleans probably could have went on for an hour or so. Uh, we were we were limited to time and I and I know we had a lot more to talk about. So I'm glad to be here today. Uh yeah, sure. So for those that are listening that don't know me, my name is Corel Cooper. I'm the president of advertising at Group Black, uh, where I focus on um, leading uh, a few different teams that sit within our commercial organization that are responsible for uh, driving and supporting revenue. So uh, our account management team, which is on the front lines, um, servicing our clients and making sure that our advertisers have a great experience in, in working with Group Black. Uh, our revenue operations team, which is responsible for you know ad operations, um, our approach to programmatic from an ops perspective, media planning, and our insights and analytics team, uh, which is responsible for things like our approach to measurement, uh, research that we put out into the marketplace, and and how we go about 
educating the marketplace on things like Black-owned media, as well as diverse audiences and the importance there. Um, regarding Group Black, uh, Group Black is a, a mission-driven uh, company, media company, with the goal of dramatically transforming the face of media ownership and investment. Um, we are highly focused on helping marketers reach diverse audiences at scale, but also building uh, sustainable relationships with those diverse audiences as well. The big focus or one of the big focuses from our conversation, which you're absolutely right, we could have gone on that stage and had like a full slate of uh, like conversation uh, and no, no other guests needed to come on. But um, instead we had, I think about like 25, 30 minutes. So um, that being the case, uh, just, I guess like for those who were not in the audience at uh, DPMS and maybe didn't catch the recap article I had done as part of the media briefing at that time, um, I did want to kind of go over what we had focused on in that conversation, which was basically the fact that like, despite there being a growing number of multicultural marketplaces and marketers, you know, allocating a certain percentage of their spend towards Black-owned and minority-owned media companies um, the past few years, there are still problems with that money getting into the hands that it was originally allocated for. And mm -hmm. the conversation that you and I had was really focused on kind of these legacy buying practices and how they really create speed bumps in the process of um, getting those dollars in the right hands. Um, mm -hmm. and so and maybe if we, if you could explain a little bit more about what those kind of legacy buying practices are, and then I know you guys have done a lot to uh, start addressing this in the market. We can get into that as well, but just starting out with like, you know, keyword block lists, I know is a, a really kind of rudimentary um, buying practice. I know that's one of them, but there are others too. There are others. Yeah. Yeah. And first let, let me start by saying that, um, these these legacy buying practices have been around for a long time, right? And and they've been an issue for publishers for some time now. Um, I think that they've really come under a microscope over the last few years as more and more brands um, have made commitments and are focusing on working with diverse zone media companies and reaching diverse audiences at scale. And so a lot of these legacy buying practices um, really create challenges and roadblocks for Black-owned media and, and other uh, types of companies as well, too. From our perspective at Group Black, so when I first joined the company um, two years ago, one of the first initiatives that I undertook was launching our programmatic strategy and our programmatic offering. And once we got that offering in place, we immediately saw that some of the buyers were having trouble scaling um, their buys across the, the companies, the publishers that we represent in, in market. And as we start to dig into this, one of the things that rose really to the top as a challenge were some of these legacy buying practices. So um, you mentioned uh, keyword uh, blocking uh, is one of them. Uh, domain level blocking is another one. Uh, uh, I, I think the you know classic example is blocking news as a category, if you will, at the domain level, right? Um, that's another one. Uh, some of the, the the programmatic algorithms and how they work in terms of 
you know, these algorithms are looking for the largest pools of inventory at the cheapest price possible, right? And when you think about Black-owned media and diverse-owned media, some of these organizations are very small or mid-sized, right? So they may not have the scale that a lot of other companies have. And if those domains are looped into a bigger uh, private marketplace, if you will, well, right, the algorithm is just going to automatically move away from from that inventory because it's it's small, right? And so as we got into these, um, uh, started to dig into some of these challenges, um, my team was really uh, tasked with sort of going to each of the advertisers and trying to get them to maybe update how they were buying or coach them through or educate them on on that and and going one by one to each advertiser is really it's not a scalable way of going about doing things yeah. at all. Right? It takes a lot not of time. A, yeah. It takes it takes a lot of time. And so um I immediately just went to double verify directly because a lot of the buyers that we were working with using double verify as sort of their brand safety partner, if you will. And after having a few conversations with Double Verify and explaining to them the issues that we were having, um, they wanted to partner with us. They wanted to partner with us on research. They wanted to partner with us on educating uh, buyers as well in the marketplace. And, you know, the end result of the education of buyers and the small test that we did looking at about 10 to 15 different advertisers is by removing some of the keyword blocking, um, by removing uh, domain level blocking and going to you know um, uh, page level uh, categorization versus domain level categorization, by doing some of these things, ended up opening up about 15% more inventory for our advertisers to bid on and for some of the Black-owned media companies that we work with to now have their inventory essentially be addressable uh, in the marketplace. And so it was that test that really sort of um, kicked off uh, maybe a little bit of a broader initiative, which we are still sort of in the process of figuring out now, okay, how do we bring buyers to the table more supply partners to the table and industry trade organizations to come up with you know standards and best practices to help move the in- industry forward because as i said earlier you know we can't do this it's not scalable to go one by one to each advertiser it's not scalable for one publisher or one marketer or one trade organization to try to solve this uh, in a siloed way, right? We really have to come together as an industry to put all of the cards on the table and say, okay, if we really want to make a change here, if we really want to make a sustainable impact of not only supporting Black-owned media, but again, reaching diverse audiences at scale, this has to be addressed at an industry-wide level. Right, yeah. And that's, like, I guess, because you had mentioned that this was a test that you did with about 10 to 15 publishers, right? So mm-hmm. you could see some pretty good data from that subset, but that's only 10 to 15 out of what, like thousands of advertisers, maybe even like millions, right? So like this is an issue. And I know you had mentioned like the news category being blocked for, you know, in these rudimentary kind of practices, they, in the conversations I've had with news publishers about similar topics like this, it's something that they've been consistently struggling with, not being able Mm to like fix it at a, at a high level. And, and really it turns into, 
all right, well, we need to focus on more direct sold campaigns or we need to go like the the PMP route because that's the only way we can make these direct contacts with advertisers and kind of like shake some sense into them. But look at all the data um, related to where spend is, right? Programmatic spend continues to grow. Brands are continuing to put more and more dollars uh towards programmatic because it's easy for them to buy that way, right? So I totally get it. And I also understand from a publisher perspective why they want to have, you know, direct sold and why why that's a good alternative. You know, it's more control for the publisher. You have a better direct, more direct relationship. All those things, I, I get it. Um, but the numbers don't lie. And if the numbers say that programmatic is trending up and that's where the dollars are going to go, we can't ignore that from a supply side perspective, right? We have to come to the table and we have to bring the the buy side together at the table and say, okay, like how can we solve this uh, so that both sides are are happy? Yeah, totally. And how so how are you approaching the like the trade organizations, for instance, like having these conversations, like double verify was, you know, really eager to work with you guys and and have this mm-hmm. kind of study conducted. Are you getting like similar reception from trade orgs as you go into market with these results or like what's the kind of education process or the next steps that you're currently pursuing? Definitely the trade organizations. There are a few in particular that we are in talks with right now. Um, I don't know if I can say their names, so I'm not going to <laughs> yet at this time. But um, the the response there has been um, really great. And the reason why I say that and the reason why I feel like they're coming to the table is because they reached out to us. They reached out to Group Black. They reached out to Double Verify. It wasn't us actually going to some of the organizations that we're talking with now saying, hey, we have a problem. Can you help us solve this? It was them reading the work that we've done and reaching out to us and say, hey, we want to help solve this at a, a at a at a larger level for the industry. We we see the work that Group Black and Double Verify have done. Can you consult with us? Can we ask you questions? What, you know, what's the path you think we should take? So I, I am encouraged by some of those conversations. Now, still early stages. We got a long way to go, but I am encouraged encouraged by uh, the outreach and the engagement level, definitely. And I also wanted to ask too, given again everything that's really going on in the programmatic space right now, there's a lot of pressures on buyers, on advertisers, on publishers and everyone in between to one, like have a budget to spend, know where to spend it. And then on top of it being an election year, I just feel like there's so many like factors really putting a lot of pressure on this business. And I'm curious, like given the concerns, the, I don't know, like every, every time I speak to anyone in this side of the business. It just seems like there's a a lot of stress going on. But um, I'm curious how like it being an election year, for instance, the, you know, news cycle being, you know, a little bit more intense the past few years too, has there been an added kind of like pressure on like being able to win programmatic budgets right now um, and, and how some of these uh, larger macro trends are kind of filtering into this problem if they are. I, I, I don't think, and, and I and I hear you. I think personally, this this year is um, 
it, it's it's a lot of pressure, like you said, um, with everything going on and it being an election year. Um, I, I don't I don't see the 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 pressure from that perspective yet, and I think maybe it's because we are still very early in the year. Um, I will say for us at Group Black, we've gotten off to a really good start from a programmatic perspective, right? So that's that's encouraging uh, for for the year ahead. Um, and you know that that includes a, across a wide variety of different categories of different types of advertisers that are um, coming to us and and wanting to work with us. And I think I think some of it goes back to again um, the education that we've been doing in market around how reaching diverse audiences and building sustainable relationships with diverse audiences is one of the biggest opportunities for marketers and brands that exist. I mean, if you think about some of the trends in our country, um, Black audiences, I think 14% of the population, uh, the Hispanic audience is is growing uh, as well. Both uh, of those audiences have a tremendous amount of spend power. Black audience over a trillion dollars. The the Hispanic audience, I think, over two trillion dollars. You have a, a growing Asian population as well, too. So I think I think marketers and brands are realizing that and seeing these trends and and also understanding that hey, if I want my business to be around and thriving in five, 10, 15 years, now is the time to be building relationships with diverse audiences. I also was curious too, because of all the changes that are happening to the way that programmatic inventory is bought and sold right now, cookie deprecation leading to, um, you know, the inability to track someone like on a one-to-one basis. Buyers and advertisers have to be rethinking how they're, you know, conducting their campaigns right now. Do you think there's an opportunity that this will kind of like overhaul some of those like legacy issues that we've had in programmatic that you mentioned? Like, is there an opportunity that as cookies are leaving, like, and people are assessing how they're going to be buying this inventory, how they're going to be conducting digital advertising, that it's a good either education opportunity or good like opportunity to kind of get in and, you know, overhaul the entire system versus just here's a replacement for a cookie. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, the reality of it is, is I don't think that's what's going to happen. Um, but I but I, I do think so. And if I were sitting um, in, a, in the seat of a publisher running this business at a publisher, I would be putting all the cards on the table. I actually would have been putting all the cards on the table a year and a half, two years ago <laughs> to get ready, quite frankly. Um, but I, I would be looking at, okay, what is my what is my strategy for growing um, my first party audience? What is my uh, strategy for contextual advertising? What is my strategy for using and testing multiple IDs that sit in the marketplace and figuring out which ones work for me um, and which ones are are better than others? Um, what is my um, second party data strategy in terms of, you know, pulling together maybe other companies who um, data complements each other, right? And how, how do we do that? I would also be looking at uh, revenue diversification, right? So as a publisher, 
not make making sure that not all of my eggs are in the media basket, if you will, right? And and thinking about things like um, experiential and creators and content distribution, which by the way, those are all opportunities that that we have uh, at Group Black. Um, and and then also addressing, as you said, some of these legacy buying practices. I would be putting all the cards on the table and figuring out, okay, in a post third party cookie world, what does my overall revenue strategy look like? And do those, you know, do those percentages change in a post third party cookie world? Yeah. And you mentioned contextual targeting too. And I feel like that offers kind of like a interesting opportunity to bypass some of those like blanket kind of categorizations of websites, Mm -hmm. right? Like URLs being flagged as like news or as like politics or something when they're way more nuanced than that, right? Like, and I feel like contextual is also a little bit tricky, especially if you're a smaller, like, you know, independently owned media company. Maybe you don't have the like tech stack that has been building like a data lake or whatever the technical term is called, um, you know, for years and years. But it is like a interesting piece of it. I'm curious, like, how much of a solution that's how widely adopted that solution is becoming amongst publishers and if it's something that like you're particularly interested in as a third party alternate i am i'm very interested in that and and i think it goes back to my days when i was at um advanced digital which is now advanced local um, a local news publisher i mean that's a a perfect example of a news organization uh but has um an automotive section has a high school sports section, has a travel section, has, you know, all these different areas where, you know, we were able to really take advantage of the inventory that existed in those areas. We were able to educate uh, buyers about, um, you know, not only being able to reach your audience in the automotive section, but reaching that automotive audience wherever they are, right? And and it and it sounds very basic and elementary, but at the same time, sometimes you got to go back to basics, right? When it when it when innovation, uh, when it comes to innovation, right? Because those tactics, I think, still work. Um, they're still very effective from uh, an advertiser perspective and helping the advertiser reach their goals and their and their needs. And and I and I don't think that um, people should overlook uh, those types of tactics. And I think it's also like at least the way I've been learning about cookie alternatives is like it's kind of the opposite of replacing cookies via like a like identifier, like an authenticated audience identifier to a degree because it really comes down to like the the holistic look of your audience and what they're, Mm -hmm. you know, interested in, right? Like, and I feel like there's some interesting kind of aspects of being able to know intent in a different way than just like following someone around for a week and like seeing, you know, what. Right, right. And and it's not only, it's not only intent, but it's also how is your audience accessing your content as well too, Right there, there obviously is the the domain right uh, of your website, um, but there are also other channels where you are pushing your content to and can engage your audience and and also monetize that. Whether that be 
you know, a YouTube channel, uh, uh, an Instagram channel, a TikTok channel, your newsletter, right? These are all ways in which, you know, your audience is accessing your content and engaging with your brands. And again, going back to thinking about your approach more holistically, those elements should be included in your approach. Yeah. And also like what you were saying about like um, audience too, and like having, you know, these extremely valuable demographics um, behind that are like growing in and share in, you know, the U.S. consumer base, right? Like, I feel like there's an interesting kind of thing going on with needing to know who an audience is without a third-party cookie. So you're looking at like these really rich demographics and knowing more about them. And I think you even mentioned like having um, that kind of intelligence and like research part of your uh, job and part of the division of Group Black as well to like understand these audiences better. I feel like that's becoming a really rich kind of like, not like like selling point, but like something that like you could present advertisers with that helps to kind of like, I don't know, show like who your audience is when they're no longer able to track, right? Like that ability to really create these rich demographic like um, bios, I guess, that yeah. kind of come into play, right? Like, Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's in, and it's, it's about, uh, you know, part of this is helping the brand, the advertiser reach their goals. Right. But the other part for, you know, any, smart media company, right, is is playing a consultative role for the brand as well and being able to pull um, insights about a particular audience that maybe that marketer wasn't aware of, right, and, and providing that, that extra value. And that is certainly a part of what we do at Group Black. I mean, the, the research we did with Double Verify is one piece of it. We also released a, a study with Nielsen last year around the Black creator economy and the media value that Black creators drive. And, and those sorts of things just, you know, um, add value to what you do as a company uh, to the overall marketplace and to your, your client base as well. Maybe this is like the other end. Again, I'm trying to like figure out like contextual versus like like authenticated audiences to a degree because mm -hmm. I feel like one of them like they're both really critical to have like yeah. you know to be able to kind of approach this cookie apocalypse as we love to call it um in a like I don't know prepared way but like the other end of like there's the contextual piece of it there's authenticated audiences kind of needing to have both to really approach the cookie apocalypse in a prepared way. But I do think like, and you mentioned, this is a long tangent, a long string of thoughts. I'm trying to like tie it all together. So apologies. All good. All Bear good. with no, me. No. The like authenticated audience piece and how like publishers are approaching revenue diversification, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. The idea that I've been hearing a lot from publishers about like building those one-to-one -one connections, getting an email, like someone to sign up for a newsletter, for instance, they're able mm -hmm. to make like a connection with an individual. They're able to kind of secure that person as a core reader, a core audience member, maybe get them on a, you know, subscription funnel to get them to ultimately pay for content. But also having that individual like identifier as like a, you know, programmatic like 
alt ID asset mm-hmm. is also really critical. And I feel like there's like a really interesting like through line of like the value of having someone, you know, either register when they read your content or, um, you know, sign up for a newsletter or something is becoming so much more like multifaceted than it, than it used to be. Cause I used to write about registration walls as like a subscription funnel driver, but it seems like more and more publishers are realizing like the past couple of years, but also this year in particular, how important it is to really have that like signed on consumer reader on their website. And I'm curious how, like with the publishers that you work with and, you know, especially the ones who maybe don't have like access to all of the like, you know, technology or like the, like, I don't know, programmers who could build these like large contextual kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. technology stacks, like how that relationship with the reader is growing in importance this year um, and what like, I don't know, what that kind of means in all the things that are like stacked up against a lot of smaller independent publishers. Yeah, I, I think um, I think what you just said creates um, another challenge, right? Or another obstacle for smaller independent publishers that may not have the resources to do a lot of what you just said. Because if you think about what you just said in terms of getting someone to um, sign up and and um, uh, open newsletters and content and log in when, I mean, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of effort, right? That takes, that you have to build trust with that person, right? In order to get them to do those things. And not to say that, you know, we can't. Obviously, there are publishers that do a great job at, at doing that, but it, it, it's a it's it, that's the long game right there, right? Um, I think for the smaller publishers, I think what they have to do is maybe maybe make one or two bets in terms of their strategy and the direction that they're going to go in, as well as leveraging. You know, a bunch of the, the the technology partners that sit in our space today, right? They don't have to take on all the work themselves. There are, um, you know, there are plenty of companies that are in the contextual space or in the you know ID space in the in the newsletter space. As you know, I used to work for for one of the companies in the, in the newsletter space as well, too, right? Um, so there there are there are resources externally that these organizations can leverage. I mean, for us at Group Black. That's one of the the value props that we provide to our collective members and and our partners, right? Because um, some of them are are smaller and may not have the resources to, you know, have an ad ops team, so they can leverage our ad ops team. May not have the resources to or or the knowledge base to set up an ad tech stack, right? They can um, utilize what we've set up from a programmatic perspective and benefit from that. They may not have the resources to um, hire a sales team. That's why we have our sales team that can open those doors and connections at agencies and brands and help bring some of those dollars down. So they're they're not alone in in the fight, but they also have to. Um, I think be very strategic and focused on sort of which which avenues they want to go down with respect to their strategy. Yeah, and I think it's interesting too because like I was chatting with one publisher who was really adamantly against the idea of reg- of a registration wall, and mm. they were saying like you know 
yes, if you can get 10% of people who click to your site to give you your give you their email, like that's a really valuable asset. Like that ends up being like a really strong thing to have as like a, you know, third-party cookie you know, preparedness strategy, but you're also losing 90% of the, you know, people who clicked on refused to give you their email and then just bounced to find it, that information elsewhere. And at the same time, I've spoken with other publishers who are, their biggest goal this year is to increase the number of registered users on their site. Like they want people to log in. They need to have this logged in audience. Otherwise they feel like they're going to be under monetizing this, you know, cookie free, like audience. And so it's such an interesting yeah. kind of predicament because you're right. Like it takes a lot of resources to be able to kind of overhaul how you've been approaching programmatic for so long. And, you know, whether it's like, you know, having the human power or the financial like ability to invest in these solutions, like it feels like you can't really do everything that's being offered as a solution, but how do you figure out which path is right for you and for your company is like an interesting right. And I and I think as we get through um, the cookie deprecation, right, and come out on the other side of it, I think um, I think as an industry we're going to go through some pain uh, in that, right. Um, but at the same time, I also think we may come out of that with um, a, a more consistent go forward strategy, right? Because the someone's going to be right in terms of whether or not building up logged in user registration database versus not doing that someone right we will we will know and understand um sort of the impact of that and then i think as as an industry um hopefully we will be in a position where we can have some clear best practices around what's the best way to go about um engaging and building an audience and then the ability to make sure that they that that audience has uh, content that they want. And when I say content that they want, I'm referring to editorial content as well as advertising content. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like advertising is oftentimes forgotten about as also being content, um, especially in supporting the, the free internet. Um, right. Got it. Okay. So I guess going back to our because I feel like we kind of like started at this one point and we ended up on a, a whole other end of what's <laughs> going on right now. But getting back to the original, you know, conversation we were talking about with, you know, the legacy buying practices that have been kind of suppressing the scale that advertisers are accessing when they're trying to allocate their their money towards um, Black-owned media. I'm curious, like, what you're like so you're in this process of trying to scale up like what you found working with double verify um mm-hmm. how are you kind of working with the publishers themselves that are either like within you know group black's network or that you you know work with outside of that to like shed light on the results and maybe try to f- make pro- like progress even if we're still kind of in the siloed approach to it? Honestly, I think the, the the progress that needs to be made is, again, pulling the buy and the sell side together and really educating the buy side on these legacy buying practices because that that's where the dollars are controlled, right? That's where um, the decisions are made in terms of how 
you're going to reach your audience, right? I'll give you, I'll give you a great example of uh, some of the research that we did with Double Verify in terms of how we're educating the marketplace and why keywords are, are you know, in my opinion, something that we should completely do away with. Keyword blocking is something that we should completely do away with in our industry. So um, uh, Obama as a term, most uh, buyers will block the term Obama, right? And they're doing that because uh, Obama's obviously was connected to politics, right? Even though at this point he has not been in office for seven years. Yeah, seven years, right? So we had an assumption that a lot of the content that is produced on Obama these days is more entertainment, lifestyle, education than it is politics. And so we ran a spot check with Double Verify last year. And the spot check that Double Verify did showed that almost um, 30% of the inventory with the keyword Obama was classified as lifestyle and entertainment, not politics, right? And so that is uh, an example that shows that um, keywords um, aren't effective, right? Uh, buyers build up these keyword lists and they don't get managed. They sit around forever and just get added to, right? And that's what I mean by an example of educating the buy side in terms of how they're placing these buys. An another another great example, and this is a more recent one because he, you know, won at the Grammys and and I'll, you know, get I have to give cr credit to Grouchy Greg over at All Hip Hop and, and Rob Beeler at Beeler Tech for this one. But Killer Mike, right? If you didn't know who Killer Mike was three weeks ago, you now know who he is because Grammys, right? And Obviously, the word, you know, kill or killer is probably on a lot of block lists, right? But should content on Killer Mike not get advertising, right? That's the entertainment category. So that's another example. And there, there are tons of other um, culturally relevant examples where keywords are just um, not a great approach for us to be using as an industry anymore. And that's what I mean about like, we need to educate the buy side about these things. The Obama example always like shocks me because like, I don't know, like I think about like Michelle Obama's book that she, she put out, right? right? Like that, right. like any coverage of that book, which was a bestseller and might still be on a bestselling list. I'm not entirely sure, but it was a, fabulous book and like any coverage of that like like would that have gotten blocked and it feels like if advertisers are using these very outdated block lists yes and like i feel mm -hmm. like that's a missed opportunity right and so and the the killer mike example like like grammys like that's a, a big moment in time people are going to be like looking him up left right and center and they're going to want right. to I don't know, capitalize on that traffic, I would assume. Yeah. And, and if you are if you are an advertiser and your goal is to, again, going back to reaching diverse audiences at scale and building relationships with them and 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 reaching them when they're most engaged. Right. There there are going to be users who are going to be reading entertainment content, um, reading about Killer Mike, and you're not going to be able to reach them when they're when they're highly engaged. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so we're coming up on the end of our conversation, but I, I am curious what your kind of level of optimism um, or I guess pessimism is or neutralism um, <laughs> is, I guess, of like progress being made in these efforts this year, again, considering everything going on with like cookie deprecation and it being just like a election year in, in many different countries and, and what that kind of does to, you know, buyers clutching their pearls a little bit. But wondering like what your kind of outlook is on the progress and the next steps and, you know, breaking out of these silos and, and having a very like widespread solution kind of put into place? I would say I, I have to start off by being optimistic, right? Because if I'm if I'm not, I might as well go do something else, um, quite frankly, right? Um, so so I am um, I am I'm optimistic, but at the same time, there's a lot of work to do uh, ahead, right? To get to a place where we have educated the marketplace at scale, and then that education leads to action. Right, because that's what's most important. Um, you can have the education with no action, and that doesn't do uh, us us any good. And at the same time, going back to what I said before, um, diverse audiences and building sustainable relationships with diverse audiences. If you are a, a, a marketer or a brand, and you're not thinking about how to do that, and you're not working on a strategy, I mean, you you may not be around, like I said, in in ten years, because that's that's the, the the biggest opportunity for any marketer or brand that exists uh, today. And so I think um, more and more folks are starting to realize that and figuring out how to act on that. Um, we certainly have a ton of conversations with our um, advertisers and agency partners at Group Black about that and how to go about um, doing it. And so I am looking forward to uh, a great year uh, at the same time. Again, with the political situation, um, that that's the X factor in, in, in all of this. Yeah. It always is, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Corral, for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate you being willing to join me on stage and then pick up this conversation um, for our recorded audience, too. Of course. Um, yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Kaylee. I appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning into the Digiday podcast. For more coverage of the media and marketing industries, check out digiday.com. If you're not already a member of Digiday Plus, be sure to subscribe to get exclusive content, research, guides, and more. Digiday Plus members also get access to weekly briefings from the Digiday Edit team, including our newest newsletter, The Media Briefing. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Digiday podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next week. Thank you.